Hail Dictinus grants us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. Humans are co-partners with deity on the project of being. This is the basis of all magic. Welcome to Deep Dive 4, the 201st episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of ethnobotanist and mystic Terence McKenna. You may call me Ode. Mary Meet, my name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. I'm Jackson, Ode's brother. We're back! We're back! Yay! Yay. So we're now doing the episode that we were going to do last week. Yep. (laughs) For those of you who are not on our Discord or our Facebook group and didn't get this message, the reason we didn't have an episode last week was that our power cut out literally as we were sitting down to start recording. Yep, yep. We were all set. We had everything pulled up, our Mm -hmm. notes in front of us, and all of a sudden, boop! It just died. Just gone. That's why we didn't have an episode last week, so we're finally getting around to it! Yay! <laughs> and you get a bonus Jackson, because yes. I wasn't going to do it last week. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so, bonus Jackson. So, it turned out for the best. So, housekeeping, to start with. This is our first recording of the month, here on September 19th. It really is. It, it would, This was not intentional, but, you yeah. know... So we'll be doing all the patrons, but before that, um, there's some like logistical housekeeping I want to uh, yep. update you all on. We are going to be moving. Moving. We're moving house. That's right. I don't anticipate, based on our current plans, that this will disrupt our recording schedule. We hope. We hope. But we're going to be moving at the end of this month, hopefully around the 30th. We're going to be in a new space. That means our recording will start to sound different. I don't know if it will be better or worse at this point. We're hoping for better. Right. But at this point, there's no way to really predict how this is going to change our sound. I will do the best I can with whatever our new setup is going to be. As always, we appreciate your patience with mm-hmm. us. Um, this was an unexpected move. And not not, not, not planned at all. Not planned and, and not our choice. Nope. Not our choice. And it had to happen very, very fast. Oh, yeah. yes. It is with a quickness that we are making all of this happen. Mm-hmm. And it's really through magic and, and, and our the, ancestors yeah. and our deities that we were able to make this happen in the time that we were given. Rhiannon says, big move or little. I know Ode was thinking of leaving the state a while back. Uh, it's going to be a little move. We're staying in oh, the same town, oh, yeah. but we just have to move to a new house. Yep. So, yep. Uh, we're basically moving across town. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't anticipate it interrupting our recording schedule. At least I'm going to try very hard to make sure it doesn't interrupt our recording schedule. If it does, oh well. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but again, we always appreciate our listeners of the pride. You guys stick with us through thick and thin and uh, it just means the world. So mm-hmm. just wanted to give you the FYI. Yep. <laughs> yep. I, it's causing me a great deal of stress. So if I am snappier than usual, that's probably why. <laughs> All right. Is that uh, it for like generic housekeeping that we have to do? I'm pretty sure that's it. Okay. Yeah. In that case, it is time for the reading of the patron names. The reading of the patron names. <laughs> yeah. To start with, we have 38 kittens. We love you, kittens. We have 29 cats, and their names are Amber Stark, Annabelle Lee, Ashley Harkins, Cabra, Christine Phillips, Cindy Barrick, Claire K.R. Miller, Ebby, Elisa Durka, Erin Kathleen, Firesong, J.D., Cauliflower, Kelly Burt, Kelly Burt again, Coney Briggs, Chris Mickelson, Laura Loki, Melkor, Nova Misco, Nikki Norcross, Rebecca Hillman, Rose Shepard, Shokora, Squiggy, The Dryad, Tiffany Kozash, Willow Green, and Renjamin. We love you, cats. We do. I love y'all's names. And the two Kelly Burts I have are different email addresses. So, Kelly Burt, if you're listening and you're paying us twice, 
They log into whichever one you don't want to be con- to to be supporting us through anymore. That's Either right. that, or if there's two separate Kelly Burts, you right. could do like a winner takes all for who gets the name. <laughs> With two email, two separate email addresses for a Kelly Burt are paying us for a cat's membership. So check your bank statements. <laughs> the Kelly Burts of the world. Yeah. All right. All the Kelly Burts of the world. <laughs> there are 65 hunters, and their names are Asipiter, Alicia Noble, Alyssa Addy, Amy Martin, Andy Olson, Ashley Ann, Brandon Adair, Cameron Grant, Charlene Hughes, Charles Howison, C.J. Kaufman, Corvus Feliday, Dahlia Darge, Darby, Darian, Daughter of Oak, David Dashifen Keys, Druidic Heart, Goddess Incognito, Heather Lewis, Hell's Tally, Hexaluna, Hrolfer, Ivy Rose, Jax, Jace Helmer, Jessica Jones, Justin Harrell, Callie Brown, Kitty Catastrophe, Kai Oakenshield, La Petite Poison, Laurel Jade, Lorelei, Loriana Lee Knapp, Mach 2556, Maddie Kunes, Maharet, Megan Kipper, Mel Renee, Melissa Gerben, Mary Rose, Michaela, Mike Stanley, Misa Sky, OK Lay, Fanockery, Precious Fire, Quinn Ann ASMR, Ray Lathrop, Rochella and Dasveed, Roanoke the Wiccan Wizard, Ryan Hopkins, Sarenth Odinson, Shybe, Sky Bierce, Sophia Duncan, Starlight Lokison, Stevie Thompson, Talia Franks, Teresa Tomblin, Tony Ghost, Ushi Ursa, Victoria Salnis, and Zamino Kokoro. We love you, hunters. Yes, our many, many hunters. Our many hunters. There are ten leopards, and their names are Alex Robinson, Chris Colibri, Eleanor Faithful, Gary Bearstorm, Gemma Atkinson, Jim Two Snakes, Jody Cozy, Kimberly Squeaky Reynolds, Luna, and Swan Fairywater. We love you, leopards. And I believe it is the leopards who get access to Jackson's Herbarium. That's right. So once per month, leopards, you can log into our Patreon page and you will get a new page from Jax's Herbarium. And they, it is wonderful. Mm-hmm. We have five tigers and their names are Amanda Hicks, Around Grandfather Fire, Crystal of Apothecary Tees, Tree Wizard Creations, and Weavers of the Web ATC. We love you, tigers. We have two panthers, and their names are Don Taylor and Melissa Negron Schilling. We love you, panthers. We have three jaguars. Jaguar. And their names are Justin Stanich, Laurie Phillips, and Nolan Hayes. And we love our jaguar. <laughs> and that's it for all our patrons thank you very much patrons you know we love you you know how much we appreciate mm-hmm. your patronage mm-hmm. and supporting this podcast you literally pay our rent and yep. will continue to help us pay our rent in the new spot <laughs> and uh, which allows us to do this and, mm-hmm. and pay the all the the fees and things that are part of yes, this because the, the website costs money to have up it costs money for hosting mm-hmm. i pay for a recording software i mean yeah <laughs> yeah so, so there are there are fees and so we appreciate so much that you are so faithful mm-hmm. you've kept us going and we and we thank you and as a reward for that we want to expand something that we offer to the hunters so uh, as you probably know 
the since it's the most popular tier, our hunters get to listen live to our recordings mm -hmm. and participate with us in the Discord. There are two locked channels on the Discord server. One is the recording voice channel where you can listen to us record live on Mondays at 8 p.m. EST. Mm -hmm. And one is the patron questions text channel where... Uh, hunters can chat with us live during recordings and ask questions. Mm -hmm. And we've struggled with finding a way to make this tier valuable for people who aren't able to attend the live readings. And we think we've come up with a solution finally. So on Wednesdays, on the Patreon page, there will start to be a episode sneak peek which is going to tell you what the next week's episode is going to be about. Mm -hmm. And you will have an opportunity in the comments of that post on the Patreon page, if you're a hunter or above, to ask questions, and we will address those questions on the podcast, and then you can listen to it on Tuesday when it comes out in the usual edited form. That mm -hmm. way, you still get to participate in the production of the podcast, even if you can't be with us live. That's right. So we hope that that makes the hunter tier... A little more valuable, mm -hmm. a little more something that you feel is yeah, resource worthy of your contribution. Yes, worthy of your contribution. And I know, especially because we've had to change our recording date multiple mm -hmm. times, and it's so we've hard. had you know the the people who are able to participate have come and gone. So hopefully, this will give everyone a chance to sort of check back in if they yeah. want to be involved in the production process. Exactly. I think that's it. And yes, I believe that, that is everything for housekeeping that we have currently. Perfect. And that would mean that we are house kept. And yes. house swept. I'm catching up. You are catching up. Good job, son. So, it's yet another deep dive. That's right. <laughs> we enjoy these. so we, fun. We hope uh -huh. you enjoy these. These are quickly becoming one of my favorite types of episode. It's these and storytelling are my new favorites, I think. Yeah, yeah. Storytelling's always been a favorite mm -hmm. of mine. And it has been a minute, so we may have another one scheduled to come up soon. Mm. But Gwen, would you like to start us off? Why is it always me? I started with Jackson last time. <laughs> All right, fine, fine. Well, this time, I thought it would be interesting to look for Hungarian deities. Mm -hmm. And I discovered that there's a whole interesting mythology, lack of information mm -hmm. for Hungarians. And for the record, on our first, very first ever yep. episode sneak peek on the Patreon, we did get a question about this from Mary Rose, mm -hmm. who asked Gwen to talk about the Magyars. Yes, which I have found out quite a bit, you know, as much as I could find out. Um, what modern scholars are saying is that Hungarian mythology is actually kind of sparse as far as recorded... Right, the records. You know, the it. records and the history and things like that. Um, it includes myths, legends, folk tales, fairy tales, and of course the gods of the Hungarians who are known as the Mag Magyarok. It's the Magyar are the Hungarians. Uh -huh. And so I decided to look a little bit up about the Hungarian people group. Mm -hmm. their, um, their language, they're part of the Uralic language group, sometimes called Uralian language, mm. a language family of 38 languages spoken by approximately 25 million people. So I assume that's sort of centered around the Ural Mountains. Mm -hmm. They're predominantly in northern Eurasia. And most native speakers of the Uralic languages are Hungarians. Okay. And then you, uh, so more than half uh, Uralic speakers are, hung are native Hungarians. And then you have Finnish and Estonian and a few others. But mm -hmm. they make up a large portion of this language group. Mm -hmm. The Hungarian people, I found, 
Ancient Hungarians, before their arrival in the Carpathian Basin at the end of the 9th century, their, their lineage and their, uh, you know, in understanding of their history is actually tenuous at best and mostly based on linguistics, analogies in folklore, archaeology, and written evidence. 21st century scholars argue that they did not exist as a discrete ethnic group before settling in the Carpathian Basin. Interesting. But and so they think before that time, which was around 850 CE, okay. they were a blend of Ugric and Turkish people living in western Siberia. But by the fifth century, they started migrating southward. But because of this, the kind of a, they were a mixture of different people groups, mm-hmm. and so they they brought different traditions or beliefs or right. customs. Uh, from various cultures. Kind of, kind of patchwork. They're actually heavily influenced by Buddhist and Hindu culture, mm-hmm. as well as, uh, I think I read some Arabic in there. And then, of course, Christianity had mm-hmm. a very heavy influence on them as well. Eventually. Eventually. That's fascinating, because that's much more recent than I would have anticipated. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. So the Magyar are actually, that's the Hungarian people, uh-huh. the Magyar. And, and so it sounds like they were maybe just sort of like a... They were a, like a conglomeration of tribes. Yeah, like a, like a caravan migration. Yeah, yeah. And so um, they said in the last 100 years, scholars of Hungarian cultural history have tried to recover Hungarian mythology mm-hmm. because there's just not a lot of recorded mythology. Mm-hmm. So the sources include folklore, legends, songs, traditions, and special dates that are unknown in other cultures or in other areas. Medieval chronicles such as codices and manuscripts, which is where some of a lot of that uh, Christian mixes in, that Christian influence comes from. Secondary sources such as accounts about Hungarians by other writers Mm -hmm. in the area, mostly before 850 AD, because 850 AD is really when they kind of came together and coalesced as a people group in archaeological research. And presumably that's something that happened during said migration. Yeah, yeah. it kind of, they... they because be- it would have, it sounds like it took generations. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It did. So that's the, the interesting thing about the Hungarian people, about their mythology. But they do have a religion. It's based on folk shamanism, animism, centered around a sky god. They do believe in a, a three-world cosmology. So you have the upper world, which is where the gods exist, Interestingly, all the gods are uniform in there. They basically all have the same honor. You know, they're, they're all held at the same level. Oh, they're all on the same tier of the hierarchy. Yes, they're all on the same tier of the hierarchy. There is one deity, the creator. His name is Istin, and that is the Hungarian word for God. Mm. He created and controls the world, looks down from the sky to observe what is called the middle world. He had help with the creation of, of the middle world with a deity known as Ordog, who is basically the underworld deity, which is all evil and bad things for humanity is all in the underworld. So you've got the upper world where the gods are, the middle world, is, which is what we know, and then the underworld. And Istan and Urdog collaborated to make they the middle world? They collaborated to okay. make the middle world. And the world tree 
stands in all three in all three worlds. So right. the the top is where the upper world is, and then the middle is right. down by the trunk is where the middle world is, and then the roots are the underworld. But interestingly, in the in the upper worlds, there is a turul. It's a, a bird said to be a, they believe was a large falcon, and is said to live at the top of the world tree. And they, it's said that it came in dreams. This is one of their myths that the mother of the man who be- ultimately became the first leader of the Hungarian conglomeration in 850 CE, um, that the Tural protected the baby as he was growing. In their mythology, if someone dreamed of a Tural, this falcon, this large falcon bird, mm-hmm. that would mean that they were under protection for some reason. Hmm. And then the Tural is also, they believe, probably a clan symbol okay. for, for that original Magyar Hungarian clan Ooh. as they came together. In the deities, you have, again, you have Istin, who is God. He controls the world. There is Istanyana, who is a mother god. She now is equated with uh, the Virgin Mary in, okay. in a lot of ways. There is Hadur, who is a fire god, but later became a war god. They have a variety of these different deities that they have the names for. Like there's a, a wind mother, a, a wind father. They control wind. Mm-hmm. A moon father and a sun mother. Hey, another yep, another yep. one with the masculine moon and the feminine sun. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's less common. Me and the Magyars. That's right. On that male moon propaganda. The sky was thought to be a big tent, and it was held up by the world tree. And then there were interesting, in within their mythology and in their stories, their folk tales, there are various characters. So, you know, the middle world is shared between humans and mythological creatures. There are ghosts in the forests and water who are ordered to scare humans. That's their whole purpose. Mm-hmm. There is a dragon called the Sarkani, who is the enemy of heroes in fairy tales. Mm-hmm. The Manak, who are elves and goblins, or the Torpek, who are dwarves. Are kind of they say foxy beings who live in the woods or underground. So I don't know if that means they're crafty, you know, like or are they literally foxes? Or are they literally foxes? Yeah, there is the Orasak who are giants and they live in the mountains and they can be good or bad depending on the story and what the hero needs to accomplish. There's the Tundarak who are fairies, and humans can sometimes ask them for three wishes. So they think they, they might have gotten some of that influence from like the Arabian Nights yeah. stories. A- Arabic and stories the, and about the, genie. the, the jinn. The yeah. jinn. And then there are the, the babak, who are old witches. Hmm. Like, you know, baba. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing, I, or the last couple of things I wanted to say about Hungarian mythology is they, they do believe in the soul. And the purpose of the immortal soul is to um, journey to heaven. Very Christian. That's a very Christian influence, influence yeah. thing. Yeah. And then they do have, again, their religion was based on folk shamanism. They have or had what was called a Taltos, who would have been their wise man. Mm-hmm. And uh, wise men were said to be able to travel through all three worlds via Revulis, uh, some kind of a form of magic or meditation. And they were selected by fate, which I thought was interesting. So it would be abnormalities like an extra finger or born with a call over their face or born with white hair. Mm. Things like that. And they would, if you know, any of these children that were born with these kinds of signs Mm -hmm. from the gods, they would be destined or fated to Mm -hmm. become a taltos. And that would be their function 
in the tribe. I thought I would just share one of the stories. The legend of the white stag or the wondrous hind is one of the oldest stories in Hungary. There are many versions, but this is the basic one. And there was an ancient land. The king Nimrod's first wife bore two sons, Hunar and Magor. And they became great hunters like their father. And on a hunt, the father was separated from his sons and they came across a stag or a hind, you know, depending on the version. They gave chase and the animal led them through meadows and glades and across rivers and forests, but they were always heading west. And at dusk, it disappeared. And so they camped for the night. Then in the morning, it, it appeared again and they began the hunt again across mountains and swamps. And they found a beautiful bountiful land and the the brothers were lo- were devastated because they lost sight of this stag again and they went back to their father and they asked him to build a temple in the space that the, in that space where the stag disappeared spent 5 years in that temple after 5 years they learned how to be great kings through meditation and teachings and they were scouting nearby territories. They heard music and found a forest clearing. And they saw young women dancing around a fire. The, remember the fairies that I told mm-hmm. you about who gave three wishes? And they were, uh, two of them were beautiful, the daughters of King Dula. So they kidnapped them and married them. With their wives, Magor and Hunor settled the bountiful land. They prospered and multiplied, eventually becoming two great nations, the Huns and the Magyars. And thus, both people were founded and bound together through the founding legend. So I know that was long. It, this turned a little bit into a storytelling episode, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. Um, so you didn't have, like, a specific deity to talk about? Sorry, I guess I should have. <laughs> the, the one um, that I would probably talk about the most then would be Istin, because he is their primary deity. He mm-hmm. is God. He created the world. He governs the middle world. He watches what people do. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the sense, though, in reading about him that he actually like interacts a lot like there will be lightning from the sky to mm-hmm. give warnings and portents oh so very much heavily taken from the christian version of, of god well not because really, a christian god is intercessory mm-hmm. again so so it sounds like istan's role was predominantly as creator as creator and observer is okay. kind of what i i see him as Elle says, maybe I'm overthinking this, but it's interesting to me that in most mythologies, the earth as we know it is always in the middle. Yeah. Talking about the, the world tree yeah. thing that you're talking about. I think to some extent that's an egocentrism thing. Mm-hmm. Plus some of it might just be um, part egocentrism, part going off of what you can visually see. Mm-hmm. Sky is up. Yeah. Earth is down. Mm-hmm. Where are you? Right. In, in, in yeah. the middle. And I do love that we had a, a, a moon father and a yeah. sun mother. I thought that I was always, very I always interesting. love seeing those representatives out there. Yeah, and they are... Challenge um, the narrative of the yes, female moon. But from what I could see, they are like what the Greeks would have considered... Primor- they were like primordial deities. Okay, or, so they were like... Yeah, they were... I don't, the ancients. Yeah. But again, there's just not that much information out there. That's why I'm like, it's a little hard to, to just you know, do one. That's why I did the whole thing. Sorry, it wasn't quite what you anticipated, but I hope it was informative. (laughs) Yeah, it was interesting. Jackson, you got a deity to talk about? Uh, Yes. So I have two that are like actually deities and one that is... And one that's questionable? Questionable. Which, which, which would you like first? Let's, you know what? Let's continue the controversy train. Continue. Yes. Start, start with our, with your <laughs> controversial one. Okay. So, so this is technically named after a type of statue or carving, um, generally considered to be a kind of grotesque called the Shilanagi, uh, which 
I think translates out to something like hag with the big breasts. <laughs> nice. Um, so they are these very stylized female figures in a sort of squatting position where they're pulling open a very overly exaggerated vulva. Okay. Um, and they're sort of fascinating and I love them. And there's so much contention. There's contention about the name, contention about whether or not it's related to a deity. They're cool. The general thought is regardless of whether or not there was a deity attached, Mm -hmm. they are used in the style of a grotesque. They're usually over doorways or windows to help scare scare away bad intention and evil spirits. Mm -hmm. So these carvings are pretty much throughout Europe, but primarily in Ireland, Great Britain, France, and Spain. There are occasionally uh, male figures that accompany. Mm-hmm. So most of the, like, Gaulish areas. Yeah. Um, but somewhat fascinatingly, it's kind of... Th- one of the main theories is that these were introduced during the Anglo-Norman invasion. Mm. Loop Guru asks, aren't they on churches too? Would that be a related... Sometimes on churches, but sometimes just on like regular buildings. Okay. Um, they're on like retaining walls above churches. Sometimes, you know those uh, in Britain, there are those like barrier walls that go along the edge of pastures. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they are on th- those. Interesting. Um, sometimes there's freestanding and, and we're not quite sure if they were originally attached to anything or not. Mm. But so there's, there's debate because... The majority of the ones that still survive on location are in Ireland. In comparison, there are 101 known in Ireland opposed to the 41 in Great Britain. Okay. But uh, the reason why they believe that this was an introduction that happened during the conquest of the area by the Normans was any location, this is specifically speaking about Ireland right now, any location that remained quote-unquote native Irish were very less likely to have these statues. Hmm. They were mostly in conquered areas. So there's two different theories. One is that this is a pre-Christianity Norman goddess that just survived the times Mm -hmm. and cropped up in the 12th century and were introduced to the area throughout Europe. And that has a little bit of background to back it up because of the, like the, the divine hag figure Mm -hmm. that's, that's frequent. And then the other theory, I suppose, is, is that these were a, like a purely Christian look at this example of lustfulness and sin. Mm. Um, so this is what you strive not to be. Okay. Um, but because those appear over doorways and windows in a sort of protective, grotesque manner, yeah. that seems a little shaky to me so, personally. So I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Why is the assumption that because they're in areas where the Normans conquered that the Normans brought them? Because, like, in, from my own research, in Norse areas, we know that, like, they didn't start wearing Thor's hammer pendants until they saw Christian mercenaries, mercenaries and missionaries coming in wearing cross pendants. So, like, they were a response to an invading force, but they came from the locals. Ah, that actually would, honestly, these were the two main, main, like, predominant theories and neither of them made a ton of sense to me Mm -hmm. that makes much more sense because places that were left mostly to themselves didn't have these statues but that doesn't mean that they didn't necessarily have that influence right Um, yeah so i guess my question is like is there a possibility that these could have been intended to like ward off the normans or be 
or be antagonistic to the Normans or something like that. That's entirely possible, uh, especially if they had those um, those Christian ideals of mm-hmm. the sexuality of a woman be some- being something to avoid. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Folkloric evidence behind these being some sort of pre-Christian goddess Mm -hmm. is found in the fact that there are something called birthing stones which were given to women in labor and they had this sort of type of figure to them okay so something to encourage Mm -hmm. birth Mm -hmm. and protection for birth so there was a specific (laughs) book called the encyclopedia of religion um, that had an article on yoni, which are like sort yeah. of... Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a female sexuality. They stated the fact that the positioning both of the location of the carvings and the positioning of the carving itself mm-hmm. with the sort of hunched over, mm-hmm. showing the exaggerated vulva, um, show a lot of similarity to carvings that were found in the Paluan archipelago. They were called Dilagai, I believe, which had... Legs splayed, large black, black triangular mm-hmm. period that were sh- put over chiefs' doorways ah. as a protection against evil spirits. Okay. So combining these factors, it does seem like there is at least some folkloric evidence mm-hmm. to suggest that this was a pre-Christian deity that either was introduced by the Normans or was a that sort of mm-hmm. response against because mm-hmm. they mostly cropped up in those areas. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And especially, I think it's interesting, we don't even know what they were actually called. No, no, gosh. Um, basically, what we have now is a colloquial name that stems from the etymology of, like, four or five fairly common phrases. That's just the name that they are called now. Oh, and just as an aside, one of these books made a really interesting point that it would make sense that these statues were over doorways and windows, because what is a vagina but a primordial gate? I was just wondering. <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, I, I it's, wonder if... It's the, an entrance. I was like, I wonder if the way or they're supposed exit. to protect against evil spirits is like consume the evil spirit. Yeah. Well, I honestly, like, if you see a picture of these, they're quite large and the vulvas are probably a quarter to a third of the entire mm-hmm. carving. They are massive mm-hmm. and open and like yeah. being pulled open. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. so like either giving birth to something mm-hmm. or an invitation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like you said, boo, scary vagina. Boo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That was very good. Very yeah. interesting. Thanks to our tiger Solonox for introducing us to Weavers of the Web, an interfaith pagan ATC, that's Aquarian Tabernacle Church, organization based in Lansing, Michigan. Weavers of the Web is a public Wiccan church that aims to be family-friendly, supportive, and informative, with the goal of ensuring that no one ever need be alone in their spiritual needs. Weavers is currently raising funds for the down payment on a property which would allow them to expand their current network of resources, including dedicated community space, a permanent home for a pagans in need pantry, and a lending library. Join them online or in person for regular events, including rituals and discussion groups at weaversoftheweb.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash weaversatc. The Javanese and Balinese are located in Indonesia. Okay. There's a deity called Batara Kala, and what I could find is that Batara is just a term that means god or deity or spirit. Okay. Um, so Kala is the actual name of said deity. Mm-hmm. And so this Javanese and Balinese mythology and, and religion seems to be very heavily based off of Hinduism. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are several uh, similarities between some of the aspects of, like, Shiva. Batarakala is known as the wrathful deity. He is the god of the underworld. Couple different options about how he came to be. One of them is Batara Guru, his father, has a wife, 
Dewi Uma. Okay. Um, and at one point, he forced himself on her, and Batarakala is the result of said union. Uh, and then the other one was just uh, Batara Guru, Guru um, ejaculated into a river, a fish consumed it, and then out came Batarakala. I that mean, so, so this is a very common <laughs> <a> thing. <laughs> problem for gods. Yep. <laughs> okay. Just so fertile. Uh-huh. They can't help themselves. Yep. They'll produce children with anything. Yep. Yeah. Themselves, natural bodies of water, whatever. (laughs) So Batara Kala uh, rules the underworld with a female goddess named Seretsu Yara. So the interesting thing, while having the title of wrathful deity and being the god of the underworld, is also the creator of light in the earth. Interesting. And the god of time and the god of destruction. And will devour unlucky people. It's a very many-aspected god. I was going to say, damn, Batara Kala wearing a lot of hat. He is related to the Hindu concept of Kala time. Mm. Um, so one of, the, yeah, mm. one of the main uh, myths for Batara Kala is that he causes eclipses by attempting to eat the sun or the moon. Well, how rude. Um, <laughs> and then he's like, hmm, there's another deity who like does general things to try to make him vomit uh-huh. to let go of the sun, the sun and the and moon. The moon. Mm-hmm. Um, so presumably the time that eclipses happen are just this this fight. Is, is, <laughs> is while the, the sun or the moon is in his belly. Uh-huh. That's right. Cough it up. Uh-huh. Cough it up. Uh, <laughs> no. What do you have? Put it down. <laughs> As is becoming somewhat common for me, his appearance is very similar to a grotesque said to look like an ogre, mm. just a very, like... You love the grotesque. I do. <laughs> They're fascinating. So he is described as being, like, rude, mean, and insatiable, but insatiable specifically for de- devouring humans. Mm. That's the only thing he eats. Other than the sun and the moon. Other than the sun and the moon. Are the sun and the moon... So, like, the, the Norse sun and moon personified were originally, like, human children. Is that the same case in Balinese mythology? or Not that I could find, but it's entirely possible. Because that would, that would track with the only eats humans thing. Yeah. Or maybe it's because the sun and the moon help sustain humans. That's true. That's true. Maybe he's trying to eat them like the way cats eat grass when they know they're going to be sick. <laughs> but so, Batarakala is much, seems to be much more associated with the Javanese side than the Balinese mm-hmm. side of, okay. of these cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more mythology associated with him associated with him in the Javanese. Okay. So, Javanese people try to obtain his favor because if incentivized... Can prevent bad luck, especially for children. Cannot eat you. Yes. <laughs> Just pay him to not eat you. That's right. To, so he's running a racket, is what yeah. you're saying. So, yes. Sounds like a serious racket. Okay. Well, a protection racket. Uh-huh. Children who were born in unlucky circumstances, like a breech birth or foot mm. first birth, have an exorcism performed on them to prevent them from being devoured by Batara Kala. Interesting. So it's this, like, he can prevent luck, but mostly by doing rituals and stuff to appease. Yeah. Um, it's it's just super fascinating. I like it a lot. And that's all I have on him. I'm so El asked, are they unlucky and then he eats them, or they're unlucky enough that he eats them? So it sounds like maybe it's more like he is the agent of bad luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... I think it's because he's the god of time and destruction uh-huh. and what causes bad luck, but, but destruction over time. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Fair so point. if you are cursed with bad luck at birth because of a difficult birth, how do you pull that back? Yeah. But appease the god of time and destruction. That makes, that makes sense. Um, and then 
he won't eat you. Because it does sound like he eats the unlucky people. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh-huh. So if you work with him to bring yourself luck, you then don't get eaten. My first deity, so I was uh, requested in the, the Discord server to cover Njord, Eger, and Ran from Norse mythology. So I'm going to start with Njord. Njord is a name with a contested etymology, as is the case in so many of these. It probably comes from uh, one of the Proto-Indo-European root words, Nurses with a Z. And lots of speculation about what it might mean. It might mean something like power or force, because there's an Irish word from the same root that means that, but we don't have any, like, direct evidence of what Njord's name specifically means. Mm-hmm. So there's also this whole situation with the name and the potential sister-wife of Njord. Ah, oh, the sister-wife. Yeah. So Njord is one of the Vanir, and he is hostage-exchanged with his children, Freya and Freyr, to the Aesir at the end of the Aesir-Vanir War. The Vanir had a tradition of sibling marriages. The Aesir don't. So, like, the sibling marriages, the sibling marriage between Freya and Freyr is mm-hmm. broken when they're exchanged as hostages to the, to Asgard. But Njord had a sister-wife who was the mother of Freya and Freyr. We don't know almost anything about her. She's sometimes called Njorun, and there is a very lightly attested female deity called Nerthus, which would be the feminine form of, of Njord's Njord. name. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of debate about whether Nerthus refers to this otherwise unattested sister wife from the Vanir, or if Nerthus and Njordr are intended to be originally one deity, like one hermaphroditic deity. Oh, interesting. And then we lost the hermaphroditic qualities of Njord over time. Mm-hmm. So big, big question marks big about questions. that situation, because we only have Nerthus referred to once or twice. Most of the time now in modern heathenry, Nerthus is accepted to be Njord's sister wife. She's usually, though, presented as being like much more feral and sort of Jotun-ish mm-hmm. than the Vanir typically are. We usually associate Nerthus with like swampland and marshes okay. and bogs because she's in one place attested as like an earth deity mm-hmm. but like in a different context than Yord who yeah. is the sort of standard earth deity mm-hmm. um, and it's possible that she gets that Jotunish characteristic because Yord is a Jotun just this is one of those areas where clearly we're missing a lot of information and so there's a limit to the amount of reasonable conclusions we can come to based on the evidence mm-hmm. But so Njord, we do actually have some mythology about because, like I said, he was exchanged as a hostage to Asgard. Right. And so he features in a couple of myths, not just as the father of Freyr and Freya, although he does show up a few times, especially when Freyr is pining over the love of his life that he's never met. And, <laughs> and Njord is like, why are you sulking? So he shows up occasionally to give Freyr fatherly advice. <laughs> but so Njord is known as a god of the sea. And specifically, he is a god of the human relationship with the sea, which was obviously very important to the Norse peoples. Yeah, very, very they, important. They lived very closely with the sea. They were travelers. Uh-huh, and they lived on a series of islands. And yeah, so they dealt a lot with the sea and had a, a strong interest in having a good relationship with the sea. And... Because the sea itself was really dangerous, as we'll see later with Eger and Ran, Njord 
was the god of their power over the sea. Mm -hmm. He was the god of mankind's dominance over the sea, right? So he is a sea god, but of a very specific character. Mm -hmm. He is specifically the god of seafaring and fishing. So like Njord, you would celebrate if, and in fact, there were folk traditions into the 19th century, giving praise to Njord for good catches, like well after the Christianization of Scandinavia. Right. There were just like small local folk traditions. Njord was one of the the gods who, who stuck in people's minds the most mm-hmm. and who lingered the longest because he was so bound up in people's like daily practices of okay. fishing and sailing and being on the sea. You could pray to Njord to calm the sea. So if it was a a rocky day and you had to go out there fishing regardless, you Mm -hmm. would pray to Njord and ask him to calm the sea and protect your boat. He had a lot of place names associated with him, which is sort of the heathen benchmark, not always correctly, but it's the heathen benchmark for whether a god had like a significant cultist or was like influential among the people. Mm -hmm. And Njord is one of the most common place name affiliates. To this day, you'll find lots of places across Scandinavia that have Njord's name associated with them. Interesting. Yeah. He was briefly married to Skadi. This is his primary myth. So Skadi is a Jotun. She is associated with the mountains. And when her father is killed, she goes to Asgard to demand recompense. Mm -hmm. And what she demands in exchange for the death of her father is she actually asks for Baldur's hand in marriage. Baldur is Odin's favorite son. So Odin says, well, I'll make you a deal. You can choose your husband from a blind sample. Uh, They will all wear sheets over their heads and all you'll be able to see is their feet. And you can choose your husband based on whoever's feet you like best. And so Skadi agrees to this because she figures, obviously, Baldur will have the nicest feet. She turns chooses, out to be Njord. Yeah, she chooses via nicest feet, and it turns out Njord has the nicest feet among the gods. Proven method. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and because when he was brought as a hostage to Asgard, his marriage to whoever his sister-wife originally was was dissolved, Njord is a bachelor, um... So he's eligible. Yeah, so he's free to marry Scotty. It doesn't last very long. They get about a week because neither of them can stand the other person's home. Njord is miserable living in, in the mountains with Skadi, and Skadi can't stand living in the ocean with Nord, so well, they divorce. Have a relationship solely based on feet. On feet, <laughs> yeah. 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 And neither of you, like, has a foot fetish, so... So, yeah, they they divorce in pretty short order. It doesn't last very long, but Skadi is still, like, associated with Njord, and she's still even associated with Njord's children, Freya and Freya. She's sort of considered their stepmother, stepmother. and does occasionally show up in their myths again to provide maternal advice. Mm-hmm. Usually of a more shut up and stop whining character because she's a Jotun. <laughs> Njord also is considered to have had great wealth and power through his association with the sea because the sea was a source of wealth and power and authority for a lot of chieftains and kings of um, Norse tribes. So a lot of kings and, and chieftains and even just the leaders of like Viking bands would associate themselves with Njord because if they had the power of Njord, obviously they could leverage that into tangible power. Right. That's Njord. That's Njord. Mm-hmm. I like Njord. Yeah. He's I a, like saying his name. He's, Njord. A, he's got a good name, yeah. He's an interesting 
person. He's very he's very quiet in the myths. He's he's sort of reserved. We don't we don't hear a lot of it. The most opinion he ever expresses is his dissatisfaction living in the mountains away from the sea. Yeah. The vibe that I get from Njord personally, like on a on a UPG level, is mm-hmm. just that he's it's not necessarily that he doesn't want to be in Asgard, it's that he misses Vanaheim. Mm-hmm. So to use a terrible pun, he doesn't rock the boat. He does not rock the boat. So something interesting about Njord is that because he is a hostage in in Asgard, during Ragnarok, Njord does not take part. He does not participate in the battle against the Jotnar. He's like, I'm out. He leaves. He leaves Asgard at the start of Ragnarok and goes to Vanaheim and returns home mm-hmm. and consequently survives Ragnarok. Which is interesting because like Freya and Freyr do fight in Ragnarok mm-hmm. and they clearly seem to have like more emotional and relational ties to the rest of Asgard. Even though they were grown mm-hmm. children, they were adults when they were exchanged as hostages, mm-hmm. but they seem to have been more closely interlinked with the Aesir. Whereas, and adopted. Yeah, whereas the... whereas Njord seems like he always sort of feels like and behaves as a little bit of an outsider from the rest of the gods. Gotcha. Interesting. Yep. Well, I can do a very short about another of the deities of okay. Istanyana. Oh, yeah. Tell us about Istanyana. She's yeah. the, the female she's god, the right? She's the female, the mother god. Uh, she's Istanyana. She's also known, and I'm going to torture these names. I know it, but I'll do my best. Also known as Boldagasani which means blessed one, or Hajnal Anyakska, which is dawn mother. She is a goddess of the moon, mm-hmm. fertility, and childbirth. And apparently Istin is considered like the ultimate masculinity. Mm-hmm. So she is that the counterpart, corollary. that corollary between uh, benevolent and feminine type characteristics because Istin is considered, like, you know, you know, I told you, he brings portents and mm-hmm. mysteries. Thunders and, and lightnings. Thunders, and so it's, a, it's an interesting yeah. juxtaposition that Hadur is uh, the god of war, but is also a blacksmith. Hmm. And the Magyars, who were the early Hungarians, mm-hmm. sacrificed white stallions, stags, and cattle to him before going to war. A little, little extra seasoning. <laughs> little extra seasoning. <laughs> to- All right, Jackson, what's your next one? Okay. So I'm going to try so hard with this name. I promise you, I looked it up like nine times. And every time I was like, wait a second, how, what was it again? <laughs> Baron Samedi. Baron Samedi? Baron Samedi. Possibly. Samedi? Samedi? I don't know. Baron S-A-M-E-D-I. Just I'm pick one. so just, sorry. Just pick one and commit to it, Jackson. <laughs> I've heard it. Samedi. Baron Samedi. Samedi. Okay. So Baron Samedi. A voodoo deity. Deity of the underworld. Um, he's generally depicted wearing a top hat, a black coat, glasses, and nostril plugs because like he is styled after a corpse ready to, for, to be buried in the Haitian tradition. Jackson and I were talking about this earlier. Yes. Uh, if you ever watched <laughs> The Princess and the Frog, Dr. Facilier has Baron Samedi vibes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes he's depicted as just a straight up skeleton. Other times a black man with a skeleton painted on his face, but always with the same like regalia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he is a, a god of the underworld, disruption, debauchery, obscenity, but extraordinarily charming. Interestingly, the former Haitian president for life, Francois Duvelier, mm. also known as Papa Doc, modeled his cult of personality on Samedi. Mm-hmm. Um, a thing that I forgot to, to mention, Baron Samedi t- was thought to speak in a very like high nasal tone. Mm-hmm. And so Papa Doc spoke with a nasal tone, yeah. like completely modeled his whole vibe 
on the Baron. The Baron. On the Baron. The Baron is, is particularly associated with rum and tobacco and likes those a lot. So people who are trying to give offerings would usually present those sorts of things. Um, he's also the Loa of Resurrection and called upon for healing of those approaching death. Essentially what it was was if you were close to death, even if you had been cursed to die, if the Baron refused to dig your grave, you would survive. Damn. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, yeah, by that's, the... He sounds like a good man to have on your side yes. if you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something that's more recent because of the affiliation with Papa Doc, now the Baron is associated with secret societies in the Haitian government mm. um, and has just kind of incorporated that into his domain. Right. He's very rarely seen without a cigar. He's always drinking and smoking and generally spends the majority of his time in the invisible world of the the voodoo spirits. Mm. There are other lesser spirits who have his same aesthetic, but are apparently much less charming. (laughs) (laughs) The Baron has a a big association with black magic, and if you need to do any hexes or break Mm -hmm. hexes, also known as the giver of life, which is why you can have that prevention of death. Right. And, oh, I thought this was really cool. People who have died, he keeps their corpses safely in the ground so they do not become back as zombies. Oh! Okay. To do this, in return for his service, Uh he demands offerings. Right. Because I keep your dead in the ground, give me coffee, rum, cigars. Occasionally there will be a ceremony, but... Right. I think that's fair. Yeah, Yeah, no. Pour out some rum, let the the Baron keep the graveyard in good working order. That's right. So I just really, really love the Baron... It's fascinating. Just this, this like, symbol of sexuality and debauchery and can apparently be quite intimidating, but mm-hmm. incredibly charming. And has that life and death aspect, but does so many things for the people and mm-hmm. asks for cigars and rum in return. Mm-hmm. Very cool, dude. Join our Targar Amanda and relax with the salts of Wonderful Body Co. These soaks and scrubs, inspired by popular books and characters, are designed to delight multiple senses with fragrant scents and sparkling mica. You can also find rollerball fragrances and hair oils. With dozens of options available, you're sure to find something you like in the Wonderful Body Co. collection. This week, I'm recommending Sider, available as bath salt or ritual oil with scents of blue lavender, cedarwood smoke, bergamot, oak moss, and clary sage. Find Wonderful Body Co. online at wonderfulbodyco.com or go directly to the shop at etsy.com slash shop slash wonderfulbodyco. (laughs) And now, I will talk about Eger and Ran, sort of together and sort of separately. They're married. So so Eger is the personified sea. His name means sea. He's sometimes also called Schler or Gimer, which also means sea. But he is one of the Jotnar. He is the wild or untamed sea, the natural sea. He has... Nine daughters, the nine daughters of Eger, who are supposed to represent nine waves. Nine probably is the number specifically because it's a significant number in Norse mythology Mm. rather than because there were like nine important waves and we've just lost that story. It's possible that there was, uh, that there were stories that sort of explained what type of waves his daughters were, but if so, we don't have that information anymore. He is the husband of Ran, who I'll cover in a minute, and he's an extremely famous host. Down in the bottom of the sea, he hosts these banquets in his own domain. Under the sea. Under the sea. So he, al- he already has this beautiful f- hall, which mm-hmm. can host all the gods. He lights it with gold. Ooh. So where you would have torches 
or braziers. He has That's gold. He has just glittering piles of gold where where the flames would be, and it casts this light into the water. I want to go check his place. Yeah, out. and so gold, a lot of times in Norse poetry, is called Aegir's fire. Mmm, cool. Sounds very Atlantisy. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. So he has this this beautiful, famous hall where he hosts these magnificent banquets and gatherings. But the couple of times we actually hear about him hosting a banquet, he gets really sulky about it because the Aesir are demanding that he host them a party. Oh. And so he's... and this That is, takes the fun out Exactly. Of it. And this is another sort of like uh, another indication of sort of the tensions, I guess, between the Aesir and the Jotnar. Aegir already has this reputation as a famous host, you know, a lavish banquets, beautiful hall. So just like wait a month and one will happen. Right. But but the Aesir want one for them specifically, so mm-hmm. they demand that he that he put one on for them. Mm-hmm. And he has no choice really but to comply. Mm-hmm. But he resents it and you can tell and so he comes up with these ridiculous requests. Mm-hmm. before he can put the banquet on. And the most significant of one is which, of which is that he says his cauldron's not big enough to cook enough food for all of the Aesir coming to visit. So they're going to have to go get him a bigger, cauldron. a bigger cauldron. And this actually sets off a whole story about retrieving a bigger cauldron for, for Aegir for this right. feast. Might as well get something out of it. That's one of those points where you can just see the, like, even though these groups of people are interconnected and they have, you know, ties of obligation and duty between each other, they are not always... Friendly. Friendly, and yeah, not always perfectly friendly. So, but Aegir is predominantly associated with the sea as a, as a natural object, in modern heathenry, he's often associated with sea animals and um, sea features. So, like, a coral reef would be associated with Eger rather than with Njord because mm-hmm. it's not something humans are really supposed to in- engage with or interfere with. Right. So it's Eger's realm rather than Njord's. Gotcha. He's married to Ran. Uh, Ran's name means plunderer or thief. Ooh. She is famous for her net. She seems to have invented the first net, and she carries it around with her and uses it to trap sailors. Okay. And drag them down into her husband's realm. Okay. To drown. Kind of mean, but Uh okay. Well, we'll, we're getting there. It's unclear if Ran is also a Jotun or if she is one of the Aesir. It's possible that Ran is one of the Aesir who, by being married to Aegir, mm-hmm. creates this tie of obligation. Gotcha. But it's not specifically stated anywhere. One of the primary reasons we think she could have been an Aesir is that she's listed among a list of the Aesinjur, the, the female okay. goddesses, who are mostly Aesir goddesses. Gotcha. So she's listed among them. So it's possible that she's an Aesir and not a Jotun. But gotcha. she has a very sinister character. That sounds like it. She is, yeah. she is specifically the sinister aspects of the sea. Okay. She mm. is death by drowning. She is shipwreck. She is storms. She is the pale corpse bloated in the water. Like, Ran is the ominous sea, the the true dangers and treacheries of the sea. That makes sense. She is sometimes described as Eger's spaywife. And a spaywife was a kind of fortune-telling witch. 
they were they were called spekona. Spay was a specific kind of fortune telling you could do. It, they're still called spay witches in Scotland, and she's in a, another in another instance described as the Volva of the sea. Mm. So she's a sea witch. Yeah, so which is a kind of seer. So she is known to have some kind of magic available to her beyond just like literally trapping people in her net. And we do have stories of Volva creating storms. Okay. So it's possible that that's the avenue through which she creates storms to kill people and draw right. them down into into Eyer's sea. It's also possible that she rules a sea hall of the dead. Hmm. So like, okay. yeah, like the dead can go to various halls. A lot of them go to hell, to Helheim, to Hell's Hall. Some warriors who are specifically selected by Odin or, or Freya go to one of their halls, either Valhalla or Freya's hall that I can't remember the name of right now. Folkvanger, yes, Geta, thank you. Is uh, Folkvanger is Freya's hall. There are a few other halls that are associated with various deities, and occasionally it's mentioned that like their followers specifically might go to those halls when they die. But for the most part, the general expectation is that the dead go to Hell's Hall, unless they drown. And then if you drown, you are quote given to run. So being given to Ran means being drowned. And it's thought that she literally keeps the drowned dead with her under the sea forever. That doesn't sound pleasant. No, probably not. <laughs> uh, although, like I said, Eger is very popular as a host. So if he throws parties for him, maybe that makes up for it. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, so... Probably a different area. Yeah. <laughs> so, Off to the side. Yeah. <laughs> different. There's a party hall and then there's a dead hall. <laughs> Ran is not particularly well liked. I would assume I, not. Yeah. No. In the mythology, because like I said, pretty much her only interaction with human beings is <laughs> to capture and kill them and wreck yeah. the, their ships and destroy their homes and cause storms and chaos. And there's not even, as far as we can tell, a tradition of appeasement. It's just... If Ron doesn't kill you, it's because you literally escaped her jaws. And they, they frequently do describe it that way, like as if Ron is like rising up from the sea with her mouth open to consume you. So like there's no pre there's nothing you can do to appease Ron. If Ron is coming for you, either get out of the way or you're dead. I think that's fascinating because a lot of deities have like multiple aspects. So mm -hmm. if one of them is death and destruction, another will be something that balances that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But well, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Nothing, nothing like that for Ran. Yeah. Ran is purely death by the sea. I mean, this this whole talk is just making me think of like the Kraken and Davy yeah. Jones, mm -hmm. and just like yeah, being yeah. pulled down to the depths by some unknowable thing. Yep, absolutely. Githa says, randomly, I'm playing a D&D one-shot Friday where I'm playing a water ganasi grave cleric, and this is giving me so many ideas. Yes. <laughs> Definitely mine, Ran, uh, and, and her. She doesn't feature a lot in mythology. Where we mostly hear about Ran is in sagas where people have drowned recently. So, mm -hmm. like, there are several significant stanzas in a couple of sagas where like uh, a king is lamenting the deaths of his sons by drowning mm -hmm. and saying that like if only he had the power he would fight Ran to the death yeah. <laughs> like she was she's she's not popular not popular um, but it's interesting because like i said she's she's married to Aegir, who is just the natural sea it's a good pairing though it is mm -hmm. what does the natural sea bring but the potential for death and destruction exactly and and but he also brings great bounty because yeah. you know and that's why he probably 
probably he has this association of being such a good host is he's where the fish come from. Mm -hmm. He's where the bounty is, you know, gold and amber come up out of the sea. Yeah, I feel like... Kran is is more of the dark, dark, deep down ocean. Yeah, she is. She's the depths. <laughs> the depths that you don't get to see unless you're dragged down yeah. there by her net. Yeah, the, the bad sinister nets. And on In one story, Loki actually needs to get a hold of a net. And so in one version of the story, he weaves one himself. In another version, he has to get Ran to lend him her net. Oh, boy. But yeah, so she's very interesting. And what's interesting to me is that Njord really doesn't interact with Egir and Ran directly, even mm. though they have very overlapping territories, because, like I said, Njord is the, is the god of human relationships to the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't see him really interact with Egir, um, mm. and especially not with Ran. Like, we never see them come into conflict of, right. like, uh, Njord and, and Ran fighting over uh, a, a, a soul, or, you know, Ran trying to destroy a ship while Njord tries to protect it. We never, we don't have any stories like that if they ever existed. Does that mean that Njord could really only protect you from the natural sea? It could be, yeah, mm-hmm. and that if mm-hmm. Ran set her sights on you... Too bad. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. Out of That's my hands. True. But those are those are the primary sea gods of Norse mythology. Unsurprisingly, there are three of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think that pretty much covers our. Yep. Our yeah, it does, and we've we've gone quite long today. Quite long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's getting quite hot in here. So. Yeah, it is. It's, it's time toasty. to. We're gonna wrap this one up. We're gonna wrap it up. If you want to find out more about us, you can Google the number three and the words pagans and a cat, or the number three and the letters P A A C. We have a website at threepagansandacat.com. Gwen has a Patheos blog that she has started updating again. Yes. And she's got some other things. She's got a TikTok. Yep. Love my TikTok. Mm-hmm. I have a good time on TikTok mm-hmm. and Instagram. Jackson doesn't really do anything publicly on the internet. I'm just here for shoes and giggles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can support us on Patreon. Yep. We're on all the platforms, including you can find us on Spotify. You can find mm-hmm. us on Anywhere you can listen to Audible, fine podcasts. All the podcast platforms, mm-hmm. iTunes, you can find us. Share us with your friends and family. Yes. We have a Discord and a Facebook group mm-hmm. that you're welcome to access. Uh, they are not exclusive to patrons. I see this confusion a lot. Um, the Discord and the Facebook group are open for anyone who listens mm-hmm. to join. The Facebook group, you do have three questions that we request that you answer. Mm-hmm. But that's just so that we can verify you're not a bot or a spy. Because mm-hmm. we try to keep stuff that's in the in the Facebook group to in the Facebook group. Yep. So that people aren't outed to their friends and family if they're not comfortable with that. Discord server is linked in a couple of places. It's been linked on the Facebook fairly recently. So if you're mm-hmm. looking for a link to it and you can't find it on the website for some reason, it, it is also linked on the Facebook if you can get in through that. So yeah, just Google. Yeah, just, just Google, Google us. us. Just Google You'll us, find and, us and find us through that. Yeah. But now it's like really, really fucking hot in this it's room. It's really hot and yeah, so we're gonna So we're gonna GTFO. <laughs> we're gonna say goodbye. <laughs> and we'll be back next week. And remember, yes. hunters and above, check the Patreon page on Wednesday to see what next week's topic is gonna be and ask your questions. Okay. That's right. That's right. Bye-bye. Be good, be safe. We love you. <laughs> Have a good one.